Totally Football Show this and every Tuesday going full continental with our European Roundup. And here in the Totally Studio, please welcome a dreamy Julien Laurence. Bonjour tout le monde. Looking good enough to Italy, Harry Horndog. Ciao tutti. The Ryan Raffish Rafa Honix time with his Umpa band. Hello, servus, pity. Mind your trombone, Raff. <laughs> and all over La Liga like a tax lawyer, Alvaro Romeo. Hola, buenas tardes. Just great to have you all, all here. Are you excited, Raff, about the new season? Very excited, James. Is there any chance we'll see a title race this time around in France, Italy, Spain? Well, in Italy, I think so, because there are some question marks about uh, Maurizio Sarri and whether he's a good fit uh, for Juventus. Mm-hmm. What about in Spain, Alvaro? There is a chance, but at the same time, we have to bear in mind that Barcelona has won seven out of the last ten La Liga titles. So, I think that Barcelona is still the favourite, but yeah, there is a chance, of course. All right. Uh, what about in France? Is there any chance of a title race there, <laughs> I think I'll pass on this one. OK. Germany... Yes. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the top two have already got their scuffle underway. Yes. We'll talk more about that later on, though, Rafa, because we're going to start our previews in a nation gripped by Kieron Trippier fever. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Y donde, siendo un defensa lateral de largo recorrido y excelente toque de balón, recibimos al nuevo fichaje del Club Atlético de Madrid, Kieron Trippier. Sound there of a, a proud Atletico de Madrid unveiling Kieran Trippier earlier this summer. Part of a massive spending spree by Spanish sides who've been throwing their lolly around like a sport toddler. Over one billion euro lashed out so far. That's the highest ever. And amongst those signings, so, uh, Trippier and so many more, Eden Hazard and uh, many, many stars. Alvaro, what's going on? Where's the money coming from? Well, the money is coming from the televisions. The money is coming also from... Uh the Spanish teams needed to, to build their squads again because last season they didn't do well in Champions League. Real Madrid didn't uh, manage to beat Ajax, uh, then uh, Atletico de Madrid lost uh, against Juventus in a very bad fashion, and Barcelona is still traumatized by what happened at Anfield. So, yeah, uh, that is the engine that drove Spanish teams to spend a lot this summer. And uh, we have to say as well that, uh, yes, there has been a 1 billion euro investment, but 800 million of it has been spent by Spanish, uh, Atletico, Barcelona and Real Madrid. So three clubs have spent all that money. So it tells you that La Liga is becoming a little bit of an oligarchy in which there can be another club like Valencia, Sevilla that can make it to the Champions League, but they are nowhere near as financially powerful. What's happening with Valencia? Good question. Um, there is a sporting director called uh, Matteo Alemani who did a really good job and uh, he was the one who stopped Peter Lim, the owner in Singapore, from sacking Marcelino last season. Marcelino is Valencia's manager. Um, this summer, Peter Lim wanted to sack the sporting director, uh, Matteo Alemani, and uh, that wasn't uh, very welcome at Valencia nor by Marcelino, neither by the fans, to the point that Marcelino is reported to have said that uh, if Matteo Alemani was sacked by Peter Lim, he was going to live with him. And the players asked Marcelino to stay because they believe in the project. So far, Matteo Alemani hasn't been sacked and this has been uh, halted. But uh, it's a very bad way of starting summer because uh, Valencia needs to do a couple of more signings and Peter Lim at the minute is more into politics rather than into investing. Sounds like Marcelino could be out on a limb in a very real sense. All this money spent then, Alvaro, how does it leave the title race? Well, I think that, uh, as I said before, Barcelona has to come as the favourite because they have the know-how to win La Liga titles. They sign Antoine Griezmann, De Jong, Junior Firpo, who can be a decent uh, a player who can replace Jordi Alba at some point during the season uh, and especially because Barcelona has lost only four games over the last two uh, La Liga seasons and two of those losses came when Barcelona had already clinched the title. So there are obviously things that Barcelona has to improve on, especially when it comes to the Champions League because uh, it seems that uh, they know how to do things on the day-to-day basis, but when it comes to, comes to the big games, they always are missing something, and perhaps Antoine Griezmann can be this player who brings or who makes the difference uh, in these games. Real Madrid last season didn't do well. They ended up being 19 points away from uh, Barcelona, and they have signed a number of players, uh, the likes of Eden Hazard, the, the likes of Militao, the likes of uh, Jovic. Jovic. Yeah, few players that... Uh, 
Eden Hazard is definitely going to be in the starting lineup, but I think that the other three or four that Real Madrid has signed, they may not be in the lineup, uh, which means that uh, it's the same old, same old for Real Madrid in many ways. Has Hazard slimmed down, Alvaro, uh, after turning up, what, six kilos overweight? Seven or kilos. Seven. Seven kilos overweight. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's not good. And uh, Real Madrid... Uh, Sounds like a... Eden Hazard in a very real sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but uh, this is something that uh, Real Madrid uh, supporters can be worried about. And I remember last Friday, uh, Marca uh, had the big headline saying what's going on with Eden Hazard. And it's still the beginning of August. The season hasn't started yet. But the results have been really poor for Real Madrid. They lost 7-3 against Atletico, for instance. Yeah, so that was in the International Champions Cup. Yeah. So presumably no one overreacted to that or anything. <laughs> there was, uh, as you can imagine, a crazy reaction about that because uh, Spain is a country that doesn't understand the moderation. It's either you are in the high or you are in the low. Yeah, and if you are a Real Madrid supporter, even more so. And one of the ripple effects of that was James Rodriguez seemed yeah. to be on the brink of joining Atletico Madrid. And after that defeat, for political reasons, <laughs> Real could not be seen to be sending hammers to Atletico. So all of a sudden, Napoli fans are all celebrating because they're like, wow, we're back in. We're back in with this. Yeah, but how immature is it to have your sporting uh, philosophy around the, the latest result? So if you want to sell hammers and get that money to sign the likes of Pogba, right. then go for it. Real playing that game without their big signings. Atletico Madrid, though, they finished, what, 11 points behind Barcelona last year? If this game doesn't tell us too much about Real or it doesn't bode well for Real, does it bode well for Atletico, who really have boosted themselves on the transfer market? I think that it says that Atletico are going to be up for the challenge again. This summer they managed to do the precision where they wanted, which is in the Madrid area. Uh, they spent a week there uh, training with Prof Ortega, uh, who is one of the uh, hardest uh, physicians uh, you can find in Spanish football. And uh, the results have been really good. And the losses of Antoine Griezmann, Lucas Hernández and Rodri have given Atletico de Madrid roundabout uh, 260 million euros to uh, spend in new players. The old guard is gone. The likes of Godin, the likes of Juanfran, the likes of Felipe Luis are no longer playing there. And Atletico de Madrid, with all the money they got from the sales, they sign uh, one of the most uh, interesting and attractive prospects of European football, Joao Felix. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kieran Trippier. And Kieran Trippier is uh, one of the players who comes there to fill the boots of a really good player, James. Mm. One front. Mm. And I think that Key is an all right signing considering the price as well. It okay. was in the region of 20 something million. But tell us about Felix, though. Why are you so excited about him? Uh, well, I think that Joe Felix is one of these players who is very gifted. And uh, from the very first minute at Atletico de Madrid, he has proven that he's got a lot of quality and that the Atletico de Madrid shirt is not uh, heavy for him. He can carry it with no fear whatsoever. And he has played really well in the preseason. And uh, I've seen some other technical players just uh, fading away and faltering among, uh, under uh, Diego Pablo Simeone's uh, regime, uh, such as, for example, Nico Gaitan, who came as well from Portugal, and he was a great prospect in Portugal. But Joao Felix is playing really, really well uh, this uh, pre-season, and I think that he's going to be one of the really, uh, one of the best signings of this summer in La Liga. And now, I've got lots of questions about transfers. Uh, there's been rumours today, for example, about Untiti joining Arsenal. There was a strange story about Coutinho going uh, to the Gunners, but uh, I'm not sure how much truth there is in that. And then, of course, there's the ongoing story of Gareth Bale, who, who cannot get released, ironically, because his name is actually Bale. But So <laughs> what's going to happen with that? Well, Gareth Bale is uh, living in a gold prison, as uh, you say, then, nice. because he's making a lot of money, 17 million a year. So the problem with uh, Gareth Bale, started in uh, June 2018 when uh, at the end of the Champions League final he said that he wanted to play more Zinedine Zidane left and then he came back and Gareth Bale uh, probably never expected that uh, dramatic twist the thing with Gareth Bale is that uh, who is going to buy the player because if no one buys the player Zinedine Zidane will have to do some diplomacy in there probably to understand that Gareth Bale can be a really good asset for Real Madrid but I think that the, the bridge has been burnt uh, between the player and the manager so I think that it's very difficult to uh, to fix this situation. While Zidane's in charge? Definitely. And how long do you think that'll be? Is, is his position secure? Well, that's, that's the thing. It is secure because uh, Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid hasn't uh, been losing titles yet. I mean, the La Liga title was lost when Zidane arrived last year in March. The Champions League was already lost as well because uh, it was under Solari when Real Madrid got knocked out by Ajax. But as soon as Real Madrid results 
are the responsibility of Zinedine Zidane. Then his position at Real Madrid is going to be really weak, despite his friendship with Real Madrid president, yes. I think Real Madrid is the big story, uh, with Zidane maybe losing his halo. He has won the Champions League, but in the league they've never looked that convincing with him. And I think it's going to be very difficult to manage this transition of easing out some of the uh, serial winners, bringing the new guys in without too much friction is going to be tough. I, th I think for Zidane it's a, it's a huge season and I think he knows it as well. Maybe not to this point when he came back in March. I don't think he ever expected this season to be so crucial and so important that people have already forgotten about the three Champions League. He won in a row. It's, it's a new start, but a very dangerous one as well for him, I think. And so far what we've seen in pre-season not just against Atletico but overall has been quite concerning in the way they've been playing and despite some of the players like Sergio Ramos saying it's okay you know we're working a lot on our fitness don't worry at all about anything but I think there, there's a lot of concern there and Zidane would have to fix everything would have to find a way of playing you know his best team and finding the best way to accommodate Vinicius for example with Benzema and Hazard and do you play Jovic or you don't play Jovic what do you do with your midfield three so it'd be very interesting to see to see how he does Elsewhere, Alvaro, uh, well, we've heard about the problems with uh, Valencia. Also, a word or two, if we could, about Sevilla, who've now got uh, Monchi back in La Liga. Very popular in Rome. Very popular in Rome and hopefully in Sevilla as well. And, of course, they're managed now by that symbol of, of football and good fortune, Yulon Lopetegui. <laughs> I know. It's a very difficult job for Lopetegui because Sevilla has lost around 10 players and they are bringing in 15 new players. Uh, among them... Uh, the likes of Oliver Torres, who played for Porto for a number of years. Uh, they also brought Goodell uh, from the Chinese League. Uh, he was a great prospect a few years ago, but now we don't know how good he is. And they brought as well, and probably Julian knows more about uh, this player, Kunde, who is the Sevilla's the most expensive uh, signing ever. So they, they changed the squad completely. Transfer markets open until the 2nd of September in Spain. Yeah. Any big moves you, you foresee going through before then? The Neymar thing uh, will be the biggest is that going to happen? If, if that happens, it will be the biggest. How division. can it happen, though? Because, uh, because Barcelona wants to offload uh, a couple of players. Right. Uh, Rakitic or uh, Umtiti or even uh, Philippe Coutinho could be used, as we call it in Spain, as a currency. Right. So they could use as currency just to make uh, Neymar uh, cheaper. And uh, that could be something that happens because Barcelona has been quite cryptic about uh, bringing uh, Neymar in the past. They were like, all right, we haven't uh, discarded the player. We're still thinking about signing, but so far nothing has happened. But this will be the biggest potential signing that could happen in Spain. PSG are waiting, Jules. PSG are waiting, but so far there's nothing has, has arrived from Barcelona. They, they're waiting for anything, any sort of offer, even a small one, even one where you, they're offering their, I don't know, their secretary, Coutinho, their cleaner, whatever. They just, but nothing's happening. And PSG is saying, we want him to go and he wants to go to you, so just do something. But if, if he doesn't go, as seemed likely, also because I can imagine large parts of Barcelona wouldn't be exactly keen to see him back. What happens then? He's just going to sit and, 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 and stew? Oh, no, he's going to play. He will have to play anyway. He, he cannot. Really? Well, you can't keep someone that you pay 32 million euros a year net on the bench or with the reserve team. And, not, and even for Neymar's career, it wouldn't be good not to play at all. So mm. I mean, the dressing room seems so divided. You saw when there was the trophy lift. Uh, at the weekend where Verratti wanted him in the photo and then Mbappé pulled him out. Well, so both, both Verratti and Mbappé wanted him on the photo the joke, and then the joke, they were pushing him out because he didn't play, he was suspended. He didn't really want to be on the photo more because I think he didn't play than the fact that he didn't really want to be there. The, the fact is, he wants to leave. It's no secret, the players want him to stay and Mbappé said before the, the French community shield that he wanted him to stay. But he wants to go. The problem is if Barca don't move, no one else can buy him. And if Barca don't move, he will have to stay and then play again, I guess. Right. Well, a lot more to discuss today. But as we leave Spain, how about a little question in honour of Kieran Trippier turning up at Atleti, where he's the first Englishman ever to wear the famous uh, Colchonera stripes and only the 10th Englishman in La Liga since 92. I wonder, can you, listener, name who the other nine are? Have a ponder on that, listener, and we'll have the answers uh, later on. Next up, though, we're off to the peninsula for some Serie A news. Paddy Power knows the very best way to sponsor a team is by unsponsoring them. That's why we're launching the Save Our Shirt campaign, and that's why Huddersfield Town's kit won't have our logo on it at all. Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt? Paddy Power, Save Our Shirt. 
on Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Italy, where Juventus last season, James, finished 11 points clear of Napoli and 21 points off the rest as they claimed their eighth straight Scudetto. They then embarked on a series of moves that left pundits perplexed and saw Carlo Ancelotti's eyebrows leave his head entirely, <laughs> selling Moise Kane, trying to sell Paolo Dybala and changing their stripes. What's going on? Well, it's fascinating, really. Um, I think they're trying to bring in some of the money that they've spent because Moise Kane, teenager, one of the brightest prospects that Italy have had at centre-forward for a long, long time. I think Everton have got a really good deal for him. But I think the reason why this decision has been made is twofold. Uh, one, if you look at the competition in the number nine role at Juventus, you've got Cristiano, who wants to play there. You've got Mandzukic there at the moment. You've got Dybala, who would be playing there as well. Higuain is back and <laughs> hanging around. So, yeah, how many opportunities can you realistically give this kid who only made his first start last season in March? So that's an issue. And he was entering the final year of his contract as well. So, yeah, I think it's a good deal for Everton, but it's maybe also a good deal for Juventus insofar as they'll get 27, 30 million, could rise to 40 with bonuses and performance-related add-ons. They haven't been able to include a buyback clause in there, but there is a kind of gentleman's agreement, first refusal to match any offer that comes in for Ken in the future. Um, I mean, you're making a great case for thank it. Thank you. <laughs> but it's it's really disappointing, isn't it? For a player who had such sure. an electric impact on the team. He was their best player for a, for a stretch when he finally did break into the, the side. And a young player and a great prospect. It's From a Juve point of view, it's, it's sad to see him go. Well, also because if you look at the options that they've got centre forward at the moment they're all old guys really uh, Manzikic, Higuain and Ronaldo when the season starts who which of those do you think will, will be there and do you think that maybe Lukaku is going to be there I think it's very difficult for them to do the Lukaku deal um, if Dybala is not involved in the exchange and it's clear over the last 24 hours that Dybala has serious reservations about going there I know that from the United side they put out that he's asked for exorbitant uh, wages, but he's asked for those wages for a couple of reasons. One, you're going to have to make me an offer I cannot refuse in order to go to Manchester United at the moment because you're not in contention for the Premier League title. You're not in the Champions League. And he's never really wanted to play in England. His preference has always gone to play for Barcelona in La Liga. And the other thing is that he's got this kind of image rights issue in the background uh, which could end up costing him a lot of money. Basically, he, him and his old agent, they agreed to sell his image rights to a company and did a deal with Puma. He then broke that agreement, signed with Adidas. So that's in the background. So that's why all this money has been asked for. But he doesn't want to go. I mean, I think it's come as a real shock to the player to find out that he is on the market because I think he was really looking forward to playing under Maurizio Sarri. Uh, I think had Massimiliano Allegri stayed, Dybala would have given serious consideration to his future just because there wasn't really a place for him in, in the team. So you'll know this as well as I do, James, that when, when a club makes this kind of decision, puts a player on the market and the player doesn't want to go, it's hard to then kind of convince the player that he's in your plans again. You looked at Kakao when he found out that Milan were basically negotiating and had agreed to sell him to Man City. He's like, right, well, I'm on the clock here and ended up trying to get the move that he ended up wanting, which was to go to Real Madrid the following season. Mm. So, yeah, I, th I think Juventus are in a quite a difficult spot, even though a lot of the business that they did at the start of the window, the players that they signed, are actually really good. I, th I still think Matthias De Ligt is probably the headline signing, certainly in Italy, and would yeah, be in contention for that rest, around what's, the rest of Europe. What's baffling, though, is there's someone at Juventus who think that Lukaku is better than Dybala or Kane, and that someone thinks that Lukaku could do well in a Mauricio Sarri style of football. I mean, Sarri and Lukaku surely don't go together. So, uh, Lukaku again, can't even control the ball. Uh, How could that work with the way Sarri wants to play? This comes back to the initial question about Moise Ken and why they're selling him. And it's a purely financial operation. Because with Ken, he's a homegrown player. So all the money you bring in from him is profit. With Dybala, they've tried to get other players off the wage bill. And there's just not been interest. There's not been a market for them. With Dybala, there is. And because he's been at the club for, what, three or four years now, values are mortised. They can make a lot of money for, for him. More than sure. Else. Why? I mean, do you I know why? 
transfer market is a bit puzzling from Juventus' point of view. Even if you take Sarri out of the equation, and I agree with Jules, some of these players, you don't really associate them with, with Sarri. The amount of central midfielders that they have now in the squad is just is staggering. Is it six or seven? I think they'll look to thin that out between now and the end of the... Right, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy, although midfield was a major issue for them last year. That was where they had to develop because they didn't have skilled players alongside Miralem Pjanic who can help them escape the high press and build and sustain pressure at the other end of the pitch, particularly in the, the biggest games in Europe. They just didn't have that. And they're hoping that Rabiot, Ramsey will, will help them do that. The thing with Lukaku, final, final point on this, is whose preference takes priority here? Is it Cristiano's or is it Marito Sarri's when it comes to deciding what kind of centre-forward? And Cristiano would like to have a big centre-forward occupying defenders. Yes. You need, need a centre-forward that will make him play. Lukaku is not, is not Benzema, he's not Firmino, he's not going to make Cristiano play. No. Has there much been made about the fact that, I mean, Juventus' policy really took a different turn when mm. they signed Ronaldo and now it seems to be going further, further away from what seemed to be the original business model, which is to buy players that become ready-made stars. They now seem to be buying all the players for an immediate impact. But they're giving them to a coach who's a process coach, who's a system coach, who's not necessarily about immediate impact. I mean, it's it seems strange on the face of it. I still think there are players that they've signed who are conducive to Sarri's way of playing. Yeah, I think Rabiot, for example. Definitely. Definitely. He really That's likes true. him, playing him in front of the defence. And uh, Ramsey? Well, I mean, they believe that we'll see a different Ramsey to the one that we've become accustomed to in the, in the Premier League, that Arsenal have never used him the way he should be used. But you look at the back, Matthijs de Ligt is a, is a married to a Sarri player all over. In fact, he, he, he kind of held his hands up and said, I'd heard so many good things about Maurizio Sarri. I, I think he's perfect for the development of my game. And another young defender who they've signed, who I think is one of the bargains of the transfer window, not a lot of people know him, is Meri Demiral, the Turkish centre-back who is outstanding and has already in pre-season looked the business. As it stands, James, are Juve stronger or weaker than they were last year? Stronger. And what are the prospects then for an actual title race this time around, given that Inter are potentially looking like a, a revitalised outfit under Antonio Conte? So one of the reasons I think we're going to have a more competitive title race this year is because a lot of the top clubs in Italy are signing very good players. How are they able to do that, James? Because there's tax breaks now. It's almost like a Beckham law where they can offer much better fiscal opportunities for players to come and earn more than they, they used to. Um, and also, you've got more top managers coming back to Italy. Conte, in, in particular. Sarri, uh, another one. But as we've discussed on Golazzo in the past, Sarri and Juventus is not necessarily um, a, a perfect fit, the kind of fit that you would, you would expect them to make. It is a real break with the appointments that they've made not just in recent years, but in all of their history, whether that actually comes off or not, um, is going to be one be of the their big things. rivals. Do you think? I think Inter and the Conte. I think as long as they can sign a, a centre forward, will uh, they get Lukaku? <laughs> no, because that's the, the big thing now. No. So I think they have a better chance of getting Lukaku now than uh, than Juventus do, um, just because Juventus have lost the kind of pieces that they can exchange for him. Um, I think United are going to have to take a little bit of a hit on the price um, because I think what they've been asking for is extraordinary really there's a piece in Corriere della Sera today saying picking up on what Jules was saying is like how is Lukaku Italy's most wanted when he's coming off arguably his worst season as a kind of a professional Um, and I think something's got to give there but I saw Conte on on Sunday after the the Spurs game and he seemed particularly contrasting how he was in Singapore much more optimistic hopeful serene as they like to say in Italy about Inter's prospects I think Part of that is because they've started to thin out the squad. One of the most romantic moves of the summer, along with De Rossi going to Boca, is Rajinai Ingeland going back to Cagliari. But they've still got Mauro Icardi, which is a massive problem for the club. We talked about players getting frozen out, and that's, that seems to be potentially happening here with Icardi, who Inter have said won't play for the Nerazzurri again. And he and his partner, Juan Danara, have said that they're going to stay. Yeah, Um Icardi's going to dig in his heels, doesn't want to move because there are reports that Wanda is, is pregnant and ah. um, doesn't want to relocate to the family at this moment in time. And she tweeted on Sunday night to say, we will show the world what love is. 
we haven't mentioned Nicolo Barella, who's come in mm-hmm. from Cagliari, and it's Sensi is the one that's well. really oh, impressed him. Yeah. In, yeah. In, uh, well mm-hmm. yeah. So Inter potentially looking good. Napoli briefly. What are your thoughts there? Napoli briefly. I think they've got one of the best defenses in the league um, because I think one of the, again one of the signings that's gone under the radar is Manolas, who's left Roma. Roma's best defender has gone to partner Koulibaly. And those two are lightning quick centre backs. Um, and they've been impressive in pre season. They haven't conceded a goal. They beat Liverpool in Edinburgh. They look in very good nick. Mertens is uh, in good form. Yeah, and this is the thing I, I didn't expect really. When Sadie left, I thought more players would follow him and they'd break up the team completely. And yet, you know, in this transfer window where we've seen defenders like Delict, Maguire, uh, you think of Lucas Hernandez, um, big moves involving centre backs. Koulibaly has stayed at Napoli. He's prepared to stay. Do you think? I think there's a combination of things. I think he's priced out of the market by the club. Uh, I think he's very expensive and he's not too bothered about leaving. I think he's, he likes that environment at Napoli. Um, And I think it's the same for players like Mertens as well. who You'd expect to have cashed in really on how well they did on the Saudi, get that last, well, in in Mertens' case, that last final contract. And instead they just love being there. They love the adulation that comes with being Napoli players, which can be overwhelming for some. And then you've got Carlo. I mean, Carlo ultimately is very persuasive when it comes to, you know, we can win something here. Let's do it. And one more thing could be the fact that their wages have been doubled up with the new rule, right? So for them, it was like a race for many players that were already playing in Italy. No, I think it's only if you come. Only if, only you, if come you come to Italy. Yeah. All right, yeah. all right. All yeah. right. Otherwise, I'd be working there right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, no. so, um, so many other stories we could potentially talk about. Uh, Totti's bitter break yeah. with his boyhood club Roma. De Rossi heading off to Boca Juniors. Uh, the takeover at Fiorentina and what their prospects are. Loads of managers, he's saving change. Mihalovic now battling leukemia at Bologna. Mm. And, and best wishes to him. Uh, also, Atalanta, how they're going to, how they're looking ahead of their first ever Champions League campaign, and whether Gianluca Vialli is about to take over finally at Sampdoria. Yeah, that looks to be close, although it's looked close for <laughs> six or seven months now. But finally, Massimo Ferreira, the Sampdoria president, I think has found another club to buy, which might be Palermo, right. um, and is is still haggling over. Uh, over the exact valuation. But yeah, maybe Viali's coming back. That'd be a great romantic story. The other great story of the weekend was what next for Mario Balotelli? Because Balotelli's a free agent at the moment, left Marseille in the summer. And there was talk about Verona, which is just amazing when you think of the rivalry between Brescia and Verona, the ultras at Verona, and how they've treated black players in in the past. That looks to be off at the moment. And as I've just refreshed my Twitter feed, Balotelli al Flamengo, <laughs> which, no. which I don't think it's I don't think it's happened or happening. But yes, yeah, this is Sky Italia's latest story. Is there is interest in Balotelli from Flamengo? I mean, that would be amazing. Oh my god, would be <laughs> just. I mean, the best move Balotelli did the old summer was to uh, to bet two thousand euros to this uh, oh, yeah. the waiter in a restaurant in in, in Naples. In Naples. To see if he could drive his own scooter in the sea, which he did for 2,000 euros because the scooter was only worth 600 euros. Fair enough to both. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Now look at this, Dortmund can counter. Three against three, it's Jadon Sancho. And Sancho goes all the way! That sounds to me like a a good night's work for Borussia Dortmund. Saturday, the Bundesliga Big Two meeting in the season curtain raiser at the DFL Super Cup. And Rafa, what happened? Dortmund won 2-0 in a game that played out uh, like recent encounter. Certainly the one game in Dortmund that won last year, which was probably the best game of the season. Where Bayern had a lot of the ball created chances, could have scored goals, but Dortmund on the counter-attack with Jadon Sancho and, and Royce absolutely smashed by into pieces. Mm. And Daniel Dorwood says, will Dortmund finish the job they set out to do last season and end Bayern's league reign? I think they have a very good opportunity for that. Bayern go into the season with Niko Kovac, who is still very weak, doesn't enjoy the full authority of the dressing room, doesn't join the full authority of his board. The club said it was Niko Kovac's express wish to have Hansi Flick installed as an assistant coach. Read into that what you will. <laughs> yeah. 
Flick gets on with the players. He knows a lot of them from his time when he was the assistant coach of Jogi Löw at 2014. He's um, changed things a little bit. I think he's been able to make Bayern a bit more aggressive. They play more of a pressing game. Some of the credit has been given to him for making that work or trying to make the work on the pitch. And of course, he is a ready-made successor, at least interim coach, if and when um, <laughs> Karl Rummenigge decides to pull the trigger or Uli Hoeneß lets him pull the trigger because that is the backstory. It's that power struggle between Hoeneß, who is the uh, mentor mm. of Kovac and Rummenigge, who would like to see a much more experienced, attractive coach. So this is the buying side of it. They're still also, as you know, trying really hard to get a real quality wide player. Uh, the Sané deal has been rumbling in the background. Um, as we are recording the pod, we're still waiting for the transfer to go through in Munich. They all assume it will go through. They think it's going to go through. Leroy Sané is going to go to Bayern Munich. The assumption in, in Germany is that Sané has made up his mind. He's coming and people close to him think it is just a matter of now of sorting out a few details. Right. Now, City have been telling people a very different story, saying we want a lot of money. This is not really a foregone conclusion. My sense, though, is that this is a bit of window dressing going on. Let's put it this way. I'd find it very hard to explain that Bayern spent now the last month trying effectively convince Leroy Sané to come, only then to realize that City are not willing to sell the player to a price that's agreeable. So I think the indications are that this is going to go through. But this is this is Bayern. So Bayern are not at their strongest, whatever happens, mm. because of this weird constellation, because of the need to still freshen up the squad. Dortmund, though, have done all of their business really early. They've done all the things that Bayern have done, which is to get everyone already in by May. Uh, they have uh, Torgen Hazard, they've got Julian Brandt and Mats Hummels, who could well be the missing key no, missing piece. Either the key or the missing piece to the puzzle. Whatever metaphor you prefer, James. Because the analysis showed that Dortmund, that bit of an experience that they had to back, really cost them in the second half of the season. They didn't have the authority. They dealt very badly with, with lots of situations. And Hummels is being brought in to physically deal a lot with these issues. He's very strong in the air. He's good with the first ball out of midfield for the, the kind of game that Favre wants. But also as a voice in the dressing room, as someone who can help the likes of Witzel and Royce, who are a bit further up the pitch and are perhaps not quite as vocal as they look or perhaps not quite the, the, the extrovert leaders that you'd expect them to be, he will, hopefully, that is the, the, the planning for Dortmund, that's the idea, he will provide that bit of leadership at the back that they were missing last year. But Bayern, even before this potential Leroy Sané signing, have spent how much money so far? Well, they spent 115 million euros on two French defenders. Right. Money well spent, Jules? He would on, say yes. On Lucas Hernandez, no doubt, even at 80 million euros. On Pavard, I'm not so sure. I'm still not convinced about his potential, whether at right back or centre back. Lucas Hernandez is a big loss for Atletico. Uh, they, they were ready to refuse any offer. But at the end, Bayern, I think they. If they didn't meet the release close, they, they were really close to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atletico didn't want to get rid of him. Yeah, they did. But they want both of them to play as centre-backs. I mean, Pavar can be a backup, and there is a suggestion that maybe Kimmich will move into midfield with Pavar on the right. Although I don't think attackingly he's perhaps quite what they need. I think mm -hmm. he's more of a defensive uh, wide player and looked better for France in that system. But that didn't really address the real problems of the team. Of course, yes, you needed a bit of a freshening up at the back, but the, the issue is another holding midfielder, um, somebody who's creative, but at the same time sort of can help Thiago a little bit. And the wide positions, where at the moment they have Gnabry and Coman, and of course you can play Müller there, but it's not his ideal position. And then there is this youngster uh, from Canada, Alfonso Davis, but he's still very, very raw. Mm. And they're looking for those big solutions, the big players that will immediately improve this team in what is a key key role in a system that relies a lot of you know Lewandowski being serviced from the flanks and so on. Okay, who's your money on for the, the title this time around? Well, I've been tipping Dortmund, I think, for a number of years now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with very that. little, want to with say, very <laughs> little uh, success. Uh, so perhaps you shouldn't listen to me, but I, I think this is as good a chance as Dortmund have had uh, in years. And I think that is reflected... Since last year. Yes, yeah, since last year. <laughs> since last year. <laughs> and that's reflected, I think, in a slight change of attitude because in the past Dortmund were always quick to say that you know what Bayern are the big favourites and we're just going to try and get into the Champions League that is our target and then let's see what happens this year they have said no we feel we're ready for it 
after coming close last year with only two points behind, we are going to try and win the title. I mean, it sounds trite, but it is something very novel because in recent years, well, even decades, very few clubs have actually had the confidence to say, we will win the title or we will try to win the title. Even when Klopp because was there? Even when Klopp was there, Klopp would always play it very cool and say, you know, we have a chance. First but, objective, know. survival. <laughs> no, it's not that. Got to stay up. It's it's been this attitude that Bayern are so far ahead that we don't even want to be seen as challengers because we can only be coming short and then get all the criticism for you know sticking our neck out. But Dortmund have changed it, and I think it's a good thing for them. Uh, the dynamic change in the sense that it used to be Bayern buying all the best players that were not playing for them, so Hummels and Gotze and Lewandowski and etc. But now it seems this summer that Dortmund were able to sign Julian Brandt and Torgan Hazard and. Mahomes in a way, are they thinking twice if they've got the same offer on the table from Bayern and Dortmund that maybe Dortmund right now has the more momentum going forwards? Well, Jaden Sancho was in that position yeah. and he chose Dortmund. I'm not sure it was necessarily about momentum. I think he felt that this was a better place for him to develop because, you know, he still had Ribéry and Robin ahead of him. So I think it was more of a perspective mm-hmm. um, choice for him. I think what has changed is that Bayern are now no longer in a position to just go to Dortmund and say, you know what, your best players, we're just going to get them. And Dortmund are now also in a position to refuse other clubs from other countries to just pick off their best players in a sense that they weren't able to do so last year. Okay, everyone thinks that Jadon Sancho is probably going to leave next summer. But that in itself shows you that Dortmund have been uh, quite strong to know that for two, three years we can just keep this player and no one's going to buy him. So that that has changed. They have gone a lot stronger and they're playing the better football in my view. So it's it's a real opportunity. And don't rule out Leipzig and Julian Nagelsmann because Nagelsmann has improved every player, every team, has done wonders with, with Hoffenheim. If he can have a similar effect improving what was already the third or fourth best team last year, mm. then we're talking about a very serious title contender. The question mark behind that is, can they cope with the Champions League? Because that's where even he struggled a little bit last year with Hoffenheim. It just right. seemed all a little bit too much. This is the RB Leipzig that's got this strong British uh, strong British influence yeah, absolutely. now. absolutely. If you're Ampadu coming in and Adam Ola-Lukman coming back after going back from his loan then finding he can't quite get the same purchase at Everton and now he's he's made that deal permanent and, and Leipzig really happy with him. I think still one or two areas of his game where he needs to improve decision-making. But again, and I think Ampadu would have thought about the same as a rationale for moving there. Nagelsmann is the perfect coach to help you. He is the guy that took Serge Gnabry aside and said, look, you're making all the wrong runs. You, you need to start a little bit later. You're starting too early or you're starting too late. Go here, go there. And, he said it, it completely changed his game. Um, it, it doesn't sound like rocket science, but you sometimes would be surprised, I think, just how few coaches give you that individual time with a bit of video analysis and just give you one or two pointers that really help you. And he is that kind of guy. So I think the overall impact on, on a team that is already very good and played some very strong football under Ralph Rangnick last year could be quite transformational. And if they can somehow deal with this Champions League issue where you think, you know, is the squad quite deep enough, then um, they're absolutely ready to to break that Bayern-Dortmund stranglehold on the league. When does the Bundesliga season actually get underway, Rapper? It's another 10 days, James, because uh-huh. we've got the uh, soft launch of the first cup round yes. uh, next weekend, and then the Bundesliga kicks off proper Friday night with Bayern against Hertha. That'll be interesting. Hertha, one of two Berlin sides in the Bundesliga this season, and, and, and hopefully, maybe next week, you can tell us about uh, the other one who, who just come up from Bundesliga, Zwei. Yeah, Union Berlin is one of the great stories of this season. Friday night, football fans, the league our season gets underway with Monaco facing Lyon at the Stade Louis de Lyon. Finished third last season, of course, in France, and Monaco a lowly 17th. But remember, back in 2004, when the sides met in Monaco, back then, these two were the top two, or at least fresh from ranking as the top two in France's top division. And they met in a match which was, quite simply, Jules, the Ludovic Julie show. Fernando Morientes, qui permet à la S Monaco de mener 2 à 
2-0. Mais Jolie, lui, il marque très bien son 11e but de la saison. Il égalerait son score de l'année la, de passée. Et c'est fait. Et c'est fait. Didier Deschamps on the bench. Of course, he would take Les Monégasques all the way to the Champions League final that season. And you had a pitch invader in that game as well. Julie, what, what a player he was. Yeah, amazing. That's, that's probably his best season as well uh, in, in 03 or 04, uh, both in the league and in the Champions League as well, where they beat Real Madrid in that crazy two matches uh, to then, like you said, reach the Champions League final, where they would lose to Jose Mourinho's Porto at the time in Gelsenkirchen as well in, in 04. Great team with Fernando Morientes up front, with Jérôme Roten as well, Patrice Evra, young Patrice Evra, playing a left-back before moving to United. And Judy, the captain at the time, certainly the best player, who then would move to Barcelona and win the Champions League there in 2006 before Lionel Messi took his place. And there was a great quote as well when he's saying, like, you know, if, if you lose your place in the Barcelona team to Lionel Messi, you can, you can hold your head high and you can leave because otherwise you're going to be on the bench the whole season. So he decided to leave then uh, when Messi is starting to be, to be Messi, really. I think the best, the best story about Judy is, is why he missed out on the 2006 World Cup when he should have been in the squad. Raymond Domenech was the, was the head coach. Uh, and it's because he uh, used to send messages, text messages to Raymond Domenech's girlfriend, who was Estelle Denis, who used to be... Uh, uh, proposed to. Yeah, who used to be a French presenter. Some stories say they were dirty texts. He says that it was just a text to try to go for dinner with her, not knowing that she was the girlfriend of Raymond Domenech, which everybody in the country knew at the time. And Domenech never forgave him and never picked him up again after the text. He also had the wrong star sign. He probably also had the wrong star sign. But yeah, so the text, the story goes that that basically killed his international career, which is quite sad to be Not fair. the stripping. Not the stripping. Tell us more about the stripping, because you've actually uncovered a, a video of this, Alvaro. Yeah, I found it because my brother sent it to me like 10 years ago, something like that. But, uh -huh. uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know where it's coming from, but uh, what is for sure is that that was in France because the audience, the audience that didn't want to see that were French and they're speaking so French. what's going on? He's in a restaurant. He's in a restaurant. He's uh, having dinner with uh, a friend. Apparently, a guy, another guy, and at some point, uh, with no music whatsoever in the background, with no reason whatsoever, uh, maybe alcohol was the only reason why, uh, he started stripping in front of families. Julie? How far did he get? Sipping uh, down his pants. And then... <laughs> Someone talking that they were recording him and uh, he stopped that. That's My word. Do. That's what we do in France, you know. On uh, <laughs> random nights, that's what we do. That's but extraordinary. He, he loved football so George much that once... demonstrating as we, as we record. Once, <laughs> once he retired, he went to play for, for a club in the fourth division because he didn't want to stop playing. So he, he used to then score goals against random people on a Sunday morning. And well, I mean, it was a good level, but for him, it was far too easy. But yeah, he was, he's a really cool guy. And now he's become Monaco's ambassador. So he went back to work for the club <laughs> and traveling around. And what are you laughing? I mean, after what we discussed. Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a bit more serious stuff. He's got ambassadorial material, that guy. <laughs> right. Back in 2004, there he was, yeah. scoring two goals in a 3-0 win for Monaco over Lyon. We mentioned the fact that Monaco went to the Champions League final that season. Lyon, meanwhile, retained their Ligue 1 title. Do you know who was top scorer in Ligue 1 that season? I do. Who was it? It was Gibraltar, it wasn't it? It was, of, of Auxerre. And then he moved to Liverpool that summer. Lord of Frodsham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was back then. This season, you've got Neymar grumbling away. You've got a, potentially a bit of a revolution going on at Lyon. Definitely. Maybe a, something of a return to form there. And you've also got Andre Villas-Boas back yeah. at Marseille. We're not sure what he's done since the last time he, ma he managed the club. He, well, certainly, he drove the Dakar rally. Yeah, he certainly drove cars. Power uh, boats. Yeah. <laughs> so it might be a bit rusty or not. So far, the preseason has been meh, a bit for Marseille. They lost to Napoli on Sunday night, for example, although they didn't play too badly. They don't have much money to spend. So Andonis Ubizarreta, who is the sporting director, is trying to, to do stuff. So they got Alvaro Gonzalez on loan for, example, for Villarreal. And the funny story about that is that the, um, the Marseille CEO, Hero, when he introduced the player, there was all the media over there and he called him by the wrong name. He said, Alvaro Gomez, welcome to Marseille. The guy is called Gonzalez. I mean, already that tells you all about Marseille that you need to know. 
and that's the guy who runs the club right now. So, who is going to mount a challenge then to a PSG team that didn't seem in the best of form, although they did win this weekend yeah. in their what do you call it, the Community Shield version? Yeah, the Trophée des Champions, we call oui. it. Yeah. Okay. A two-one win for them against Rennes. Yeah, against Rennes, and they were they were behind as well early on in the game. Although then they, they dominated. Kylian Mbappe scored again, and he's been very good already this summer. Um, I don't think anyone will come close to, to Tuchel and his players. It would be interesting to see Tuchel in his second season and the mistakes that he's made last season and see if he's learned from it. And there were certainly a few mistakes made in the Champions League, obviously, in the way they were knocked out, right. uh, but, but also in the league, in the cup. So it'd be very interesting to see what he does. Obviously, a lot depends on if Neymar stays or not. Okay. But so far, they're quite happy with the, the recruitment they made. Idrissa Gay, the number six that they wanted. No, everybody wants to jump in at this I know, point. I know. I'm just finishing everybody. on that. Uh, Sarabia from Sevilla, who I think is a very yeah. good signing. Uh, and Herrera from, from Manchester United. And then Abdou yeah. Diallo from Dortmund, who they thought... At 32 million euros, they got a really good deal from him. So it'd be interesting to see that. But a lot depends on what Neymar does. Well, I was going to ask you about the transfer policy because they're all squad players, really, aren't they? It's this Tuchel thinking, you know, I have too many egos already. I need a few players who I can just rely on and they're just going to do what I tell them. I think there's a bit of that, but, but also the fact that they can't go too crazy with the money because financial fair play is certainly very much looking at them, a bit like City. So they had to be a bit careful of how to spend the money, how much to spend. And and I think Gay is the one they really wanted back in January and they felt should have happened then. Didn't happen back then. They He happened now. He will come in the team very soon. They feel that he could be the player, a bit like Hummels for Dortmund, a bit of the, the missing link really to the jigsaw and the missing piece to the jigsaw to make it work and certainly to, to make them stronger defensively. But it'd be interesting to see, but you're right, the absence of big name compared to what we've seen before it's quite interesting in this, the change of strategy with Leonardo coming back as a sporting director oh, as yeah. well. Mind you, at least they're not sold off all, all their best players like Leon. I was just reading uh, Fekir has gone to Real Betis, Ndombele has gone to Spurs. Where's Mendy gone? To Real Madrid. To Real Madrid. Or Lille, who've sold uh, Nicolas Pepe and Rafael Leao. Yeah, and, and uh, Thiago Mendes as well to Lyon mm. and Yusuf Kone as well. I mean, for Lille, it's, it's a bit different because that's their business model. It's a bit like Monaco. That's what they do. They buy young players and they give them that platform to shine like we saw with the Monaco team that won the league. And then they sell them for a lot of the price that they bought him for. So, for example, Pepe, they bought him for 10 million euros and two seasons later, they sell him for 85, which is quite incredible. I was going to, to ask, I mean, there is so much talent uh, leaving the, the French League in the same way that there is a lot of talent leaving the Spanish mid-table clubs. Uh, the, the likes of Pablo Fornals, for example, is a really good example of a really good player who in the past would have stayed at Villarreal for five, six years, but now he leaves because there is a lot of money in England. That happens to the French League every single year. How does that affect the French middle class and the, the league quality as well? Because... Uh, PSG is far stronger than uh, than anyone else, and this is becoming more and more polarized year after year. Yeah, I mean, we you know, Liga is a feeder league. It's it's no secret, and it's been like that for a long time. That's why the French academies are so good, and they have to produce young players, like Saliba, for example, who signed for Arsenal for 30 million euros and then was loaned back to Saint Etienne, and that's the only way. You know, that plus having a very good scouting network and signing good young players from other leagues like Turkey, for example, in the case of Lille or, you know, other French clubs and then give them a platform and then you sell them. You know, at some point they will go. I mean, and Dombele was very clear very early on that with the impact he had on the league, on the national team and on Lyon, that there would be a point where a big English club would come and spend 70 million euros and he would go. Well, very shortly, we'll be opening up our sac postale and getting some major news updates about Maldini's son ooh, and Leo Messi and his calf. Uh, first, though, let's get some European odds, a courtesy of Brisa Ben, who's been talking to Lee Price at Paddy Power. Well, merci, Jimbo, as they say in France. Now then, we've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start in Italy. Can Juventus finally win the Champions League this season? Yeah, this is an interesting one. A lot of interest in Juve and for obvious reasons, but not from our traders. We make them fifth favourites. We put them behind Man City, Barcelona, Liverpool and PSG in the betting for the Champions League outright. That seems crazy. Uh, Man City is short of 4-1, by the way. Juve for us, 15-2. to 
Over to Spain then, Lee, where Barcelona were pretty much untouchable last season. They've added, of course, Antoine Griezmann. Um, Real Madrid have made loads of signings, but they've had a typically controversial summer. So what about Atletico sneaking up and taking the La Liga title this season? <laughs> You've become a right football hipster, Ben. Uh, we go 14-1 to 1 that Atletico Madrid win La Liga. That sounds like a long price, but there are two very good teams above them or at least one. Barcelona odds-on to win the league this season. Real Madrid slightly longer, but maybe value of you fancy a bit of a miracle going on there. As for Atletico, no, we don't fancy them in short. All right, Lee, let's head over to France. PSG are definitely going to win the league, but why don't you amuse us and tell us the numbers for the other teams in contention? Yeah, it's definitely a one-horse race over there. PSG 1-12 to to win the French league there. Uh, Lyon, second favourites, they're 12-1. to to win the title that's a long old price isn't it Monaco you might mention they're fourth in our betting they're 33 to 1 with Marseille above them at 22 to 1 these are all really long prices though look elsewhere for your value and finally to Germany Lee where Dortmund made it competitive pretty much to the final hurdle last season can they go one better and end Bayern's dominance in the Bundesliga well I don't speak very good German anymore but I assume two horse race in German is the Bundesliga. Um, Bayern Munich are 2-9 to nine to win the league again. Big favourites despite last year being a close run thing. Dortmund are 9-2, to two, the polar opposite price. That could be interesting. Time now to have a little look at your questions, listener. Thanks for sending these in. At the Totally Football Show, Jamie Goodson says, Juve's kit, why, James? First of all, for anyone who's not seen it yet, what's the big controversy well, about the No stripes, show? James. It's a half and half home shirt. But the bigger picture, the bigger concept is oh, yeah? be the stripes. Because if you all line up as fans, you will see the stripes. And that's what they're looking to do. If you see a, that stand behind the goal of 15,000, 20,000 Juventus fans, and they're all stood together in these half and half shirts. Is that genuinely the concept? That's yeah, the that's the concept. That's the best and BS you got this from the shirt designer. <laughs> Well, I spoke to the head of design at Adidas, who is, he, you know, all of their club and country kits he, he designs. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of input from the uh, the club right. when it comes to this. And Juventus is certainly the most daring, most provocative, most prepared to change and take risks. And you only have to look at a couple of years ago, they changed... Yeah, the logo, which they called the icon, Jules. It's yeah, the sorry, icon. Sorry, the icon. Um, and I don't know if you watched this wonderful video they put together um, earlier this summer, James, called about their mission statement, which oh. is live ahead, you know, which is to be ahead of everybody else. And you'll mm. see that across their bus. And this is very much their kind of way of seeing themselves. You know, they, okay. they feel they have to break the wheel in order to... Sort make of. the wheel sort of yeah okay it's the m- most daring strip since probably Ludovic Julie uh, I think but <laughs> yeah. I'm not against it myself no me but neither I, I like the concept right but just to rebut the suggestion which we saw circulated that it was to help them in the North American market where UV stripes might be confused with a, a refereeing outfit yeah a baseball umpire mm. uh, that is utter tosh Okay. I've been told. Food logger. Ah, yeah, equally. Equally, yeah, good good, good (laughs) shout. Uh, Right, okay, uh, let's have a look at some other questions. A lot of questions about Italy. Sorry about this, guys. It's the most popular league, what can I say? Tom Hingley says Wolves and Torino could well be drawn to play each other if upcoming games go as expected in the final Europa League qualifier. Thoughts on that, Ty? Well, Torino have looked good so far in the preliminaries, came back early. Remember, it was a bit of a surprise because Milan was supposed to be the team that were in the Europa League and instead Milan decided not to participate as part of an agreement with UEFA over financial fair play. And Torino are really excited to be in Europe, a little bit like Atlanta a, a few years ago. That was the objective that was given to Walter Mazzari. And they've done a bit of a Spurs, or Spurs last year, and they haven't really done much to the team. They haven't changed a lot. They've just... Uh, they're kind of really working on coaching and assimilating ideas and hoping that will make them better. But one thing that didn't work for them last year, which is working now, James, which you'll be delighted to learn, is Simone Zaza is back. <laughs> Zaza is hitting the form that we back saw in Euro 2016. <laughs> Best take ever. Him and Belotti up front. So that could be a great tie because we'll see what Patrick Cutrone as well, their new mm. um, 18 million euro Wolves signing who... Did a bit of a Paolo Di Bala. was kind of like, oh, do I? I don't want to go. I really don't want to go. But they said you kind of have to go. 
mm. and he went on like okay. Dybala. Hey, you know, a couple of things we never mentioned before, but one was in Milan's recent defeat to narrow defeat to Manchester United on penalties. Who was it who missed the uh, crucial penalty for Milan? Daniel Maldini. Daniel Maldini. But apart from that unfortunate moment, how was his... Was that his first team debut? Well, he played in the tour of the US as well. Uh-huh. So he's been integrated into the first team squad for the tour. He was the star of their Primavera side. Um, as a year. trequartista. As a trequartista, which is the great thing about this Maldini dynasty, if you like, in that Cesare and Paolo Maldini played the same position, but Daniel Maldini is a number 10. And mm-hmm. guess what? They've signed a manager who plays... With a number 10. I'm not saying this anyway influenced Paolo Maldini's decision to appoint Marco Giampaolo. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's kind of exciting that I, I suspect that... Really no, I don't think he's ready. Happy coincidence. Yeah, I suspect they'll look to send him on loan or he'll, he's, yeah, he's, he's still playing with players yeah, who are older than him in the youth groups. So yeah. um, I think we'll probably stick around in the Primavera for another year. But great to see. Ooh, another thing we should mention uh, is the worrying news about Leo Messi. Yeah, uh, Lionel Messi, by the way, I would like to say that on Sunday in Barcelona's presentation in the Gamper Trophy, he was talking to the supporters and he, again, he proved that he's a great talker and a very good captain. No one could have imagined that 10, 12 years ago when he was a rather a timid guy. Well, he didn't play against Arsenal, but he was expected to go to the United States with uh, Barcelona this week to play two games against Napoli, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen uh, because uh, he got an injury in his calf and uh, he just Instagrammed uh, literally right after the injury that uh, he was going to be out for a little while obviously normally with this calf injuries is no more than two three weeks so he can probably miss the beginning of the season okay so it might be nothing but then again james yeah it's an odd muscle this one the soleus Soleum. yeah which uh, i think is one of those one of the things where you think you've recovered from it and then it just goes again and you can't feel it until it's gone and it, it's i think it's caused a lot of players' problems in the past, you think of company, Owen Hargreaves, it's the same sort of thing that they've aggravated and found hard to overcome. So, you know, for, for a player like Messi, who a lot of his game is based on that acceleration, it's only a first degree tear, yeah? yeah? Which is first degree, soft- fortunately. So yeah. it should be two, three weeks, yeah. yeah. Xavi Hernandez had the same problem. Mm. And... Um, he couldn't play more than 30, 35 games at the end of his career because he, he couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't play football uh, during Sundays and then Champions League. Same football. as James as well. Yeah. <laughs> football yeah. like that. <laughs> so, okay. Andrew, uh, well, the best, best wishes for a speedy recovery to uh, yeah. uh, Leo. And uh, Andrew Lang says, as well as Sancho, et al. doing well abroad. There are also some Scots. I read uh, ooh, James Horncastle's excellent article on Liam Henderson at Verona and wondered what the update would be. How about Jack Harper at Getafe? What does he bring and how much game time can he expect, Alvaro? Well, first of all, he has to adapt to Getafe because it's, uh, they are Atletico de Madrid number two, a small version of Atletico de Madrid. If he manages to do that at Getafe, he will, he will definitely uh, play a lot of football because Getafe, if I am not wrong, are playing in Europe this season, so there will be plenty of uh, opportunities for him. The European League's getting underway in a while, 10 days in the Bundesliga's case. France, that's next weekend, isn't yeah, it, George? Friday, yeah. uh, Spain? Friday or Saturday. We still don't know. <laughs> Either Friday 17th of August or Saturday 18th. All right. Do you okay. know the teams? <laughs> August 24th yeah. for Serie A. We'll be back next Tuesday, though, with another edition of this Euro-flavoured Totally Football show. But before I go, of course, the answers to which of the 10 players who've featured in La Liga since 1992. Now, you guys did pretty well at identifying them. Not sure how you did, listener, but let's see. Who, who have you guys got? Vinny Samways. That's one. Steve McManaman. El Macca. David Beckham. Yep. Owen. Jonathan Woodgate. Yes. Stan Collymore. Right. Germain uh, Pennant. Yes. Patrick Roberts, who was in Patrick Girona. Patrick Roberts from Girona, yes. So we yeah. need one more. Okay. And I've also got two more. I've got Mark Draper. Ah, who was at Rayo Vallecano. Okay. And also, and this is going to surprise you, Charlie Ianson. You know, you've heard of Charlie Ianson? I'm afraid not. I think Sid interviewed him. Did he? Yeah, I'm okay. pretty sure, yeah. He was born in Luton, but raised in Malaga. And he joined Elche in 2012 and made uh, two appearances. 
in the top flight. Good for him. Magnificent. All right, well, more exciting questions and answers to come surely as the uh, European shows continue every Tuesday. For now, many, many thanks to Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurent, Alvaro Romeo and James Horncastle and you, listener. We'll see you soon on The Totally Football Show. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.